Hey everyone, welcome to the Naz Church Weekly Message Podcast. Here you will listen to the preaching pastor from the Naz in Grove City, Ohio. We pray you are inspired by their teachings. Father, we come before you today and we surrender. Everything that we are, everything that we have, Father, use it for your glory. We want to be obedient to whatever you tell us. We know that you've said wherever two or three are gathered, you are there in the midst of them, so we know that you're here among us right now. So, Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to see what it is that you want to say to us today. Open our ears to hear from you. God, may our hearts and our hands and our feet be open to whatever you tell us to do. Holy Spirit, come right now to everyone under the sound of my voice, whether they're in this building or at at home. You would just speak to them. Father, be with our brothers and sisters that are watching from prison right now. Pray that, Lord, today you would open their eyes to the new realities that you have for them. Father, for our brothers and sisters around the world who are in the midst of battles, we pray especially for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and in the countries surrounding. Be with our Russian brothers and sisters, Lord, who have gathered for worship, that as they pray and seek to make sense what's going on in the world, that, Lord, their lives would be ordered by you. God, work in and through us to be your agents of peace. All these things, Father, we ask and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open them to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. As Bailey mentioned, uh, we are in a series called The Last Red Letters. And this is uh, the night right before our Lord was crucified. Uh, He spent time with his disciples, and so for those of you that are just joining us this week, you didn't get to watch Pastor David open us last week, uh, imagine with me, if you would, Jesus knowing it was his last night, and him having the opportunity to share some things with his disciples, knowing that he was going to die the next day, kind of like his last lecture, things he wanted them to know and learn and understand, and so he began to totally change the things that, that he thought about, the things that they were thinking about. He took, he took a last supper that we call it, used to be called the Passover meal. They had this full meal that was all about the exodus from Egypt and being freed from slavery. And Jesus helped the disciples begin to understand this isn't about that, it's about me. It's about you being stuck in your sins and me being the salvation for you. He began to really give them some new understandings. Um, I had a friend that used to call it fresh bread, a youth pastor I worked for. Pastor David mentioned he had a mentor that said the same sort of thing to him. I, I worked for this youth pastor and I, I loved him to death, but he was intense. You ever been around those people that are like intense? Um, he was intense and uh, I hated when he would ask me, what's the Lord been teaching you? He would always ask me this and I never knew when it was gonna come. And so sometimes I just did my devotions so that I would have something to say to him when he would say, what's the Lord teaching you? Um, And I would sometimes tell him something and he would go, yeah, yeah, you told me that last week. God hasn't given you any fresh bread. I need some fresh bread. Give me something new. I'm going, read your own devotions, dude. Don't get it from me. I never thought to say that. I was just so intimidated. But I hope today 
you'll get a new understanding, a new idea of what God's doing. Movies do that for us sometimes. How many of y'all have seen Encanto? Okay, good. More of you than in first service. I had never seen it. Um, I watched it some uh, over the weekend to kind of catch up uh, with the storyline. Because after I got done preaching, people were going, oh, we were ready for you to use Encanto. And then they described the movie to me. And I was like, well, why don't we just show the movie Sunday morning? Because everybody's going to be sleeping anyway. Might as well just show them the movie, right? Um, so I'm going I'm to tell you a little bit about the story. There's a, if you should put the picture up there, guys, it's got the kind of the picture of the house there, this enchanted house. Um, I'm going to tell you a story about something here in a second that was even more beautiful than that. And I'll share some stuff about Encanto, but the one thing I learned is, um, you know, we don't talk about Bruno, you know, so we won't do that today. That won't be happening. But uh, I, I had a dream the other day. It was kind of a, you know, one of those daydreams, but it's kind of real. Um, it's a, I don't know if you call it a vision or what it was, but I, I just appeared. You know, in the middle of these dreams, sometimes you just, like, they just start and you're there. And I was, I was in heaven. So I'm in heaven and I'm walking around and this person is with me, kind of like a guide or something. I don't know if it was an angel or what it was, but I'm walking around and, and I got this feeling that I was kind of getting the tour of the place. And as, as I'm walking, I was on, we were on streets of gold and there were these buildings that were built out, all these precious stones, but it wasn't impressive like I thought it would be. You know, when you read about it, you think you're gonna be going, oh my goodness, this is unbelievable. There was a sense when I was there that... Um, that stuff just really didn't matter that much. It was almost like the place itself spoke and said, you know all the things that you felt like were important when you lived on earth, like gold? Yeah, we, we make streets out of that. And precious jewels and, and those kind of things. It's like concrete blocks to us. We just build stuff out of it. And it, it wasn't like, oh, wow, this is amazing, all these things. It was more like, that stuff was secondary to something else. There was, there was something else there. There was this feeling and understanding of, you've probably been in these moments where you like touched a piece of heaven when you were, you were serving someone in Jesus' name and you began to understand how God was working and moving. He was using you and this weird peace came over you. These other moments where you just had like these otherworldly experiences here on earth and thought, oh my goodness, that must be what heaven feels like. Sometimes we call those thin spaces. It's like the place between heaven and earth kind of match. But what was happening was like those moments were now like, it wasn't a moment. It was just everything about that was different. So I'm walking around and, and as I'm going along, I realized, oh my goodness, we're going to go find my mansion, right? So it's time to find out where our house is. And that's what this tour is all about. I'm getting ready to find out where I'm going to spend eternity so now all these verses started running through my mind about, you know, the first will be last and the last will be first. And, you know, there's the story of Abraham and Lazarus. And it says, you know, you had lots of money while you were on the earth and Lazarus had nothing. And so now that we're in eternity, things are shifted. And now Lazarus has a lot and you have nothing. There's a sense of, oh my goodness. Okay, so I lived in America, which puts me in like the top 5% of the world anyway, just living there. So does that mean I'm going to get a really small shack in heaven? Or, I mean, I was really generous. I'm more than tithed. So maybe that makes up for it. Maybe I'll be in like a, you know, sort of like middle income family in heaven or something like that. You know, it's one of those kind of neighborhoods. And then I began to realize, oh, are there neighborhoods? So am I going to be like with Bible characters? Like which, which subdivision will I be in? Who will be my neighbor? You know, will it be like Abraham or 
Well, I have like the guy of leprosy. You know, who, who am I going to be with? I don't know who I'm going to be around. It's, uh, what about the saints? Is Mother Teresa? What if Mother Teresa's in my neighborhood or Billy Graham or John Chrysostom? And half of y'all are going, who's John Chrysostom? Anyway, it's great. Where am I going to be? Who's going to be there? Who's going to be with me? And so as I'm thinking all this, my mind's wandering, and I'm wondering what in the world's going to go on, I, all of a sudden, there is this house. There hadn't been any, but there's, it's a mansion. I mean, it's better than the house in Encanto. I mean, it's just, it goes on forever. It's like, oh my goodness, this is my house. This is unbelievable. So I turn to the guy, I'm going, this, so this is my house. And he goes, this is where, this is where you'll stay. Well, that's not what I asked. <laughs> this is my house, right? He's going, well, don't worry about it. So we walk in. And as I walk in, God's there. The Father is there to greet me. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is pretty awesome. And so he, he takes me over to this room. And I realize this is where I'm going to be staying. And I realize, oh, this is like the motel where you stay before you go to your mansion. It's kind of like, what is it when you go to camp? They kind of have like, Orientation. This is like the orientation house for heaven, I guess. And so I'm going, okay, so this is where I stay the night. huh? And God goes, there's no night or day here. It's always day here in my presence. It's like, oh, so there's no tomorrow. So how long am I here? And he goes, what do you mean? I'm like, well, how long am I in this room? And he goes, forever. And I'm going, I thought I was getting like a mansion. You know, didn't you say my father's house are many mansions? And so what's this thing here? God looks at me, he goes, you, you misunderstand. He said, I created you because I love you. And when you all fell, I kept trying to draw you back to me, but you all kept going to all these other things that really don't matter. Money, jewels, jobs, power, sex, all these other things that you went running after and none of them really filled you up, did they? So why do you want a house? I mean, I, I sent my son to die to restore relationship between you and me. So no, I, I didn't build you another house. I want you to live with me for eternity. I love you. You live in my house with me. And I woke up. It's like, oh my goodness, that was, what if, what if what I've thought about heaven wasn't really what heaven was supposed to be at all along? So if you got your Bibles open, John chapter 14, um, Jesus says this, hey, that's kind of how he talks to them, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's house this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything's ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way where I am going. See, Jesus is re getting ready to die. He wants the disciples to understand what's coming down the road, what he's going to do, why he's going away, what's going to happen. So he's explaining this to, to them. And some of our older translations we kind of get mixed up because it says, you know, in my father's house are many mansions. Yes, all of you that were raised on the King James, got it. Many mansions. Um, what happened is they went from 
The Greek word into Latin, back to, I'm not gonna go on. I will Greek out on y'all here in a second. That's kind of like the pastor's version of geeking out. Uh, I'm gonna tell y'all some, some kind of cool things about the Greek going on here. But, but when they talk about this, is there mansions, is there a house? Some people go, does heaven even really exist? Um, does God even really exist? Is this just Jesus kind of talking to his people? And sometimes we can get so caught up in those things and trying to prove what heaven is or trying to prove who God is or does he even exist that we miss the stinking point. Um, in his book, The Great Divorce, which is about heaven, um, C.S. Lewis writes this, there have been men before who got so interested in proving the existence of God that they came to care nothing for God himself as if the good Lord had nothing to do but exist. Have you ever been around people like that? Like they wanna prove to you that God exists, but they look and sound and act nothing like God. It's like, do you even know who he is? Oh, he exists. I'm gonna prove to you that he exists. Let me show you my, let me philosophize with you a minute and help you understand who God is. But they've missed the point. Sometimes I think we get there with heaven. We wanna prove, is is heaven real? Is hell real? Are these places real? You know, we go read books or we, we watch movies about heaven is for real. Um, you know, we don't hear many stories. I, I talked to someone this week here in our congregation. Their brother had been sick, ill. They were asking us to pray for him. So we had been. And um, he, uh, they thought he died a couple times. He was able to come back. And he did come back. And, and uh, so he's, he's alive now. He's better. He's doing great. Um, so the question was, did he really die? Did he not die? What happened on the table there? What was going on? And uh, now that he's up and able to speak and talk, he said, I, I died twice. And you hear these stories about people that went to heaven. I didn't go to heaven. I went to hell and I do not want to go there. And uh, you don't want to go there. And so he's telling people about this now. So it's this sense of, you know, I, I want to talk to him and go, does hell really exist? I could prove it. I mean, if somebody's been there, it's, it's for real, Right. They're gonna let you know it's for real. I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning, heaven is a real place. Hell is a real place. Scripture's very clear about that. How do we learn to live in that? But this passage of scripture never mentions the word heaven. Did you realize that? Jesus never says, I'm going to heaven. He says, I'm going to my father. And in his dwelling, there are many other dwelling places. There's a neat word. Here's where I'll Greek out on you. There's this Greek word, monai. Say monai. Monai. Not Moana, Monai, there we go, Monai. It means this, it's an abode or a dwelling place. It's somewhere you live. What Jesus said is in my father's, this is another fun Greek word, oikos. In my father's oikos, that's just the word for house, home. In my father's house are many Monai, many rooms, many places, many places where you can dwell and live. So what, what would that place look like that Jesus might have gone to prepare for us in the Father's house? Um, might it have been something like, um, you know, whenever you begin to give a cup of cold water in my name, somehow I am present there and God is there and you're dwelling with him. How about as, it, as God's given us his word that when you spend time reading it and you're there with God, you're dwelling with him? What about when you stop and take time to pray that as you're doing that, you're in a room with God? What about when you gather together with God's people and sing and at moments you begin to connect 
in one of those thin spaces we talked about a moment ago where you're, where heaven's kind of come near. Do you remember Jesus when he first came? His very first message was repent for the kingdom of heaven. And some of your versions will say is here or has drawn nigh or is upon us. There's this sense that somehow heaven is breaking in to now. And that sometimes when we really begin to see heaven, what we're really seeing then is reality here on earth. That what we live right now um, is kind of fake compared to what God's reality is. And as we begin to serve others and love others like Jesus did, what we begin to see is what God wants reality to be. In fact, not just what God wants reality to be, but what reality is. And we begin to see it come to life right here on earth. Interesting word, monai, to dwell there, to be with God, to dwell in his presence. It's kind of an interesting place. Maybe it's not something about a long time from now. Next, next week, we're gonna talk a little bit about how to dwell. Pastor John will be in John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. You gotta dwell in me. Apart from me, you can't do anything. So here's what's funny as we talk about all this stuff. Uh, Jesus, Jesus finishes that first little phrase by saying to them, you know, here's where I'm going. I'm going to do all this and you know the way. Thomas goes, you see Jesus going, yes, Thomas. Yeah. Um, no, we, do, we don't know, Lord. Thomas says, we have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? You ever been there before? You read something in the Bible and you're going, I have no idea what you just said there, God. I don't know the way. You say I know the way, I don't know the way. Did y'all know the way? They don't know the way either. I don't know the way. And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd really known me, you'd know who my Father is. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. What Jesus is saying here to them, Lord, we don't know the way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Sometimes we as Christians make that so exclusive that to the world it seems kind of stupid. And sometimes to some of us it seems kind of stupid. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Origen. He was an early church father. He was condemned as a heretic. Later on, the church took it back and said, oops, we were wrong. He wasn't really a heretic. Um, and what he said basically was this. We know some of what he taught um, because of people that argued against him. Their books survived, but every book that Origen ever wrote was, um, uh, was burned, was destroyed, so people couldn't read it. So we read what other people argued against him, and we know basically this. He was not a mathematician, uh, but as a philosopher and theologian, he took this Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he made this equation that kind of said, anything that is the way, the truth, and the life equals Jesus. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So if you find something that's true, Jesus is present there. So if the Holy Spirit has been working and God has been working, we should not be surprised that in Islam, that in Buddhism, that in all these other religions, we find hints of truth because God is constantly reaching out to people. Sometimes they get confused, they don't quite understand, or they develop another religion about, around some truth that they found, and we will tell to them, oh, you're, you're totally wrong. They're not totally wrong, they're just partially right. So rather than telling them they're totally wrong, how do we begin to find where the truth, this person Jesus, is active and living? So, so what Origen said, is there are many roads, essentially, that lead to God. Now, some of you are beginning to go, oh my goodness, Pastor Dale, you don't sound very Christian here. You're getting way too broad with this. So there are many roads that lead to God. 
but none of them go around Jesus. They all go through him. The closer we get to God, the closer we're getting to Jesus. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. We believe in a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He reveals himself to us that way. People are finding God all over the place, but they need to understand, and we need to be better at helping say, not you're totally wrong, but saying, oh my goodness, isn't isn't that amazing? God has spoken that through Jesus. Here's what Christ has said, and we find the things that are similar, and we begin to point them to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, because the more we understand Jesus, the more we'll understand God, and vice versa. Now, I know that's confusing, and it's confusing for the disciples, because Philip goes, Okay, Thomas already asked the question. I know it was question, answer night. Okay, Philip, what's up? Philip goes, uh, Lord, just show us the Father then. That will be enough. How many of y'all have ever done that? God, just show yourself to us, please. Can you reveal yourself? Then I'll believe. Anybody done that before? Yeah. Nobody in here is doing it. Everybody's raising their hand online. Somebody here said yes. Show us the Father. We'll be satisfied. Jesus says, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know who I am? And if I'm Philip, I'm going, yeah, I know who you are. I asked to see the Father. Jesus says, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe because of the works you've seen me do. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, this last little verse, some of you have already gotten sidetracked. And if we just look at that one little verse and forget the whole context of what's going on here, we can get confused and begin to preach some things that sound like, well, if I just believe it hard enough and pray it hard enough, Jesus has to do it. He just said so. So I would say, you know, God, today, I would like a brand new Acura NSX in Jesus' name, right? Because you got to say in Jesus' name, then it's going to happen, right? It's like the magical way you've got to say stuff, right? Lord, I need my sister to be healed in Jesus' name. And we just think that tagging that on the end makes it, now this week, you've heard me share about someone here in our congregation who was at death's door and has come back to life. And we praise God for that. But I've also been with other people who prayed in faith, believing for a loved one. I've prayed in faith, believing for people here in our congregation that had a loved one that was sick, that still died this week. And I want to say, but God, I said in Jesus' name at the end of my prayer, and you said, if I ask anything in your name, it will be done. Or maybe, maybe he's saying something a little different here. Maybe he's talking about as we dwell in God, as we live in him, we begin to understand even more what we're asking. And we begin to ask the things that he's desiring and the things that he's wanting. And he does all those things for us as we understand and ask in conjunction with what he's saying. So let's keep going. Maybe there's extras to this passage. Uh, The next verse, the very next verse is funny. If you say, you know, ask anything in my name, I will give it to you. The next line, if you obey me, right? If you love me, you'll obey my commands. 
Husbands, turn to your wives and use that line right now. If you love me, obey my commands. Wives, turn to your husbands and say back, if you love me, obey my commands. Okay, we'll have uh, the marriage class starts Wednesday night. (laughs) Y'all can have fun with that, right? But here's what Jesus says. If you love me, obey my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. I meant to bring um, my baseball cleats because Pastor David talked about his stinky shoes last week. And I was gonna bring my baseball cleats because the word that is used here for the advocate Jesus then later says the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit who will come, is this, it's another Greek word, it's called paraclete. So I was going to bring up a, a, a paracletes to help you understand um, what this is about. What a paraclete is, is someone who comes alongside you and helps you. One of the pictures we get of this is, do you remember years ago, back in the Olympics, there was this guy running long distance race, he's coming to the very end, and he was not going to finish, and he had fallen down, and this man comes running out of the stairs, out of the stands, and comes down, and grabs this guy, and pulls his arm up over his shoulder, and runs with him along the end, to take him across the finish line, and we find out it was his dad, who had come down to help him do that. That is the picture of what a paraclete is. Someone who comes alongside, that's what the word literally means, comes alongside you and helps you finish what you need. Jesus says, pray to the Father, I will ask the Father, and he will send the advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him. Because he lives with you now and later will be in you. So remember earlier we had that word monai, say monai. Okay, that means abode or dwelling place. There's another word that's used here in verse 17. He lives with you now. And the word there is mane, say mane. Mane means this, to live, abide, dwell to stay there. It's the same word, it's just moved from a noun to a verb. A dwelling place. Jesus says, I'm gonna go away and be with God in his house. There are many dwelling places. I will prepare a place for you. But until that time, guess what? I will pray and the Father will send the Holy Spirit. He's already living among you. He's there with you now dwelling. But he will live in you. Imagine if in our Father's house are many rooms, but God is also prepared within us a room, a place, a space for his spirit to dwell, to live. To help it make a little more sense for those of you that still hear the mansion word, what if inside your heart, inside your life was a mansion where God's saying, I want to live in you and through you? From Monai to Manai. So Jesus says to them, hey, listen, I'm not going to abandon you as orphans. I will not leave you alone. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you, you will see me. When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are like, oops, sorry, I lost my place here. 
I did something really crazy. This is why you don't preach with an iPad. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my father will love them and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Doesn't that sound interesting? The father can live in us and we can live in the father. This whole theme of abiding in God and God dwelling in us, it's gonna happen throughout this whole last Red Letters series. We get to the very end in chapter 17, Jesus prays for all of this to take place in us, that we would somehow dwell in God, that God would dwell in us. So Judas, not not Judas Iscariot, but the other Judas with the same name, says to Jesus, "Um, Lord, (laughs) I can see Jesus going, good grief, y'all never ask anything. Three questions tonight, this is ridiculous. Just let me talk. Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. So let's go through these fun words again. Monai, remember what Monai means? An abode or dwelling place, say Monai. Okay, Mene, say Mene. Okay, to live or abide or dwell. And then Monen, say Monen. Okay, it's a home. It's the place where someone lives and abides and dwells. It's not a house. Earlier in the passage, the word for house, oikos, is used. It says, in my father's oikos are many monai, right? Now he comes and what he says is, the father will come with me and in you we will make our monen, we will make our home inside of you. We will live with you. We will be with you. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words aren't my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends, the advocate is my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I've told you. I'm leaving you with a gift peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really loved me, you'd be happy that I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am. I've told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will come to know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. What Jesus is saying here is, guess what, guys? (laughs) All the stuff I'm telling you about these abiding places have you, have you noticed, maybe some of you have, maybe you haven't, the word heaven is never used in this passage. Maybe Jesus isn't talking about something way far off. Maybe when he came preaching, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what he was trying to say to us is, you know those thin spaces that we talk about? Places where heaven and earth seem to meet? Sometimes we talk about them as 
literal physical spaces. There's times I've been out here in the parking lot and uh, somebody's been parked for a while and they look kind of distraught, so I've driven over. Can I help you? Uh, no, just just hanging, just praying. I'm going, well, you could go in the church if you want to. You know, I'll go in there if you want to. No. They said, I can just, whenever I need to be peaceful and have be at rest, I just, I come, drive on the parking lot, and I can sense God's presence when I come here. Some of you have those kind of places, don't you? Places where you go, where you feel like, somehow this place for me is close to God. People that used to gather for worship, they would say that's what happened as they gathered. That somehow as we began singing, our voices joined with the angels. And somehow there was a portal between heaven and earth. And we worshiped with the angels. If you're in some Catholic churches where you see all the murals on the ceiling and all those things, the reason those were there was to draw our heads up to realize, oh my goodness, look what's going on. And we see the saints and the angels and everything going on. And there are some Catholic churches that used to have on the doorways before you entered into the, into the sanctuary. All ye who enter here are entering into the very courts of heaven. Imagine if we began to feel that way as we gathered for worship. Imagine if you began to feel that way when you went to Jordan's Crossing and you began to serve people. And while you were serving and trying to be Jesus, somehow Jesus spoke to you through the person you were ministering to. And you were overwhelmed and realized, oh my goodness, God's kingdom is coming and his will is being done right here on earth as it is in heaven. And the space between heaven and earth became very thin. And it was almost like you were already there in the presence of God, in a room in his house because he had made your house his home, your body, your life his home. Jesus says, I'm going to give you peace. Not like the world gives. The world's not going to give it to you. The world cannot take it away. But I want you to live in that thin space where earth and heaven come so close. You've been there, haven't you? You've seen those moments. And we long for one day heaven to be like that all the time. I've wondered if Jesus is saying to us on the night in which he's about to be betrayed, he's going to be crucified the next day, and he looks at his followers and he says to them, hey, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to go away. But don't worry. Don't worry about me. See, I'm I'm going away because I'm doing what the Father has asked me. The ruler of this world is coming. He doesn't have any authority over me but I'm going to submit because it's what the Father's asked me to do. See, the space between hell on earth and heaven on earth is one word. It's called obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, do what I say. And those of us that have begun to live in that and allow the Holy Spirit to live in us, what's funny is heaven almost becomes like heaven on earth. It's like it's broken into the here and now. And despite what's going on in the world and all the craziness, you can have peace. You can have joy. And then there are some of us that no matter how good things are going, 
no matter how much money we receive and no, how, no matter how much the things of this world, we begin to get them. And I, I ended up with the right job. I ended up with what I thought was the right wife or the right husband. Everything seemed perfect, but I still feels like I'm living in hell. Why is that? It's because we've missed the distance between here and the presence of God. And that happens when you and I decide to say, Lord, I'm going to make room. I will surrender and do whatever you want. Folks, that's the entrance into beginning and to live in heaven right now. To allow God's presence, to allow his obedience to live through you the same way it did through Jesus. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand. We've got some places down here we call altars. Um... They're just wood with some padding on them. But I found that one of, the, one of the thin spaces, a place where I meet God, happens best when I land on my knees in obedience and say, Lord, whatever you want, I'm willing to let you have me. I'm let, willing to let you do what you want. I want to live in you. I want you to live in me. God, I'll do what you want. Those of you that are watching online, that place can be kneeling beside your bed, turning around and kneeling right there at the chair that you're at, on the couch, the coffee table there, wherever you are. We're going to sing, and we're going to tell God, Lord, I'm going to do whatever you want me to. But as we do that, I'm going to ask you to come. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray right now you'd be with my brother or sister, that they're at the place, Lord, where they're realizing, uh, Lord, there's only one that is good, that is you. And that, Lord, when we turn our eyes towards you, everything becomes more real. And, Lord, whenever we turn our eyes from you, everything becomes so horrible. So, God, help us to turn our eyes towards you, to open our hearts and our minds and our lives to whatever it is you want to do in and through us. God, I pray that you'd be with my brother and sister today, that their marriage is falling apart. Pray pray that you'd be with the person that just this week got a bad diagnosis from the doctors. God, I pray that you'd be with the young man or young woman who's in here right now that's striving because they think if I get into the right college or I get this job or I get this right promotion, then things will be okay. Lord, that somehow they'll trade those things to realize that's not the thin space you want them in. God, I pray that you would open our eyes right now that for every one of us, our life would become that thin space so that when we go to work, people would say, what's up with John? And there's something different around him. When I'm around him, I feel peace. Man, when I'm with Pam, there's something about her that's different. God, enter our lives and change us so that's that that thin space becomes wherever we're going. Lord, that we're being obedient to you and you're living in and through us. So God, we come to you now as we open these altars. Do whatever you want to in and through us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Stay connected with us at thenaz.church.